0: i'm victor milligan
1: and i'm jennifer isabella
0: your co-host for Forrester's podcast what it means where we explore the major changes in the market influencing executive priorities here with us today is pascal matzka vice president research director of Forrester. welcome pascal thank you thanks for having me so pascal today we're going to talk about the big and fast-moving world of digital platforms and just to start platforms come in all sorts of flavors and sizes they're social like instagram and on the b2b side chatter there's markets like Etsy and eBay. There's aggregation like Airbnb and Expedia and Kayak in the travel space. and But we're, we're going to talk about the new world of industrial platforms. So before we get started, could we define what a platform is? Because it's a big word, and people are ascribing a lot of meaning to it.
2: Yeah. So, and, and this is a good question because we really have to be careful how we use the term platform. I think it's you know, like digital and and ecosystems one of the probably most overused terms uh, that we have these days. Um, and so, let me before I go into a definition, let me try to explain where we come from. Uh, we come from a world in the industrial space of you know very linear kind of value chains where you had you know production. Um, innovation, distribution, supply chain—all sort of covered uh, you know, within the roof of your own factory. And it was very much a siloed business uh, that was sort of focused on linear transactions. Um, through you know digitization, we are now sort of converting those formerly linear value chains into sort of systems of interaction and engagement where the supply chain partner is no longer just a supply chain partner that delivers goods uh, to me at a lower cost, but really becomes a co-innovation partner where your know, clients on the other hand deliver data back to the, customer, to the production company to really help them continuously Innovate and re-innovate around the same product. We have you know distribution partners you know sort of interacting in the same way. So what we're really sort of describing here is the shift away from linear systems of transaction to you know platforms that aggregate data, insights, and systems, you know, to really sort of share information and drive scalability, but ultimately also a
0: better customer experience around industrial products as well. So let me ask a chicken and egg question. Which comes first? Because you're talking about supply changes in that example, that were linear or sequential, you know, something happened, then the next thing happened. And now you're talking things happening much more in interactive or parallel structure. Which came first, the digital enablingness and so it created the opportunity or pressures from the industry that forced the rapid digitization of the supply chain?
2: Well, the latter has been around for some time. I mean, cost pressure, pressures to enhance efficiency in supply chain, trying to accumulate resources to drive more scalability even without your know, sort of digital technologies I mean you know certain supply chain ecosystems in the automotive industry have been using physical platforms for quite some time to drive repeatability to basically help suppliers scale across you know the various domains of you know the different production elements so the idea of platform and the driver to sort of drive this you know sharing and scalability has been around for some time but still Still, you know, up until now, most of the supply chains still operate
0: based on the need to drive cost efficiencies. Is that because that's sort of what the leadership is in their thinking, or that's a limitation of technology, or both? It's a limitation of the
2: operational silo structures. Ah. it's because you know they still are. You know, people in, who run supply chains are still incented largely on how much cost they can drive out in the supplier relationship, and it's only now that you know companies' CEOs in particular are starting to realize. Yo, wait a minute, there's something happening here on the your customer side, customers are demanding more mass-customized products, whether it's a car or whether it's a machine. They want to have this machine catered to their individual context, to their specific needs. And that drives you know, a knock-on effect into things such as supply chain, because you now need to work with the suppliers really to sort of drive the modularity around your product portfolio and have the suppliers really come in to co-innovate with you so that you can ultimately meet those rising customer expectations. And that changes the metric you know, with which you have to measure the efficiency of your supply chain. So it's no longer just cost efficiency. It is also time to market. And it's the need or the ability to really drive um, you know, better customer experiences.
1: So, Pascal, can you give us an example of one of these platforms you had mentioned while we were chatting earlier, SupplyOn.com? Um, maybe you can explain what that is.
2: Well, SupplyHorn.com is, is really interesting because it's it's a joint venture company which is co-owned by the German automotive guys and Airbus. And so Airbus, for instance, uses this supply chain system which sits in the cloud uh, to basically manage uh, all the supplier you know, relationships around building an Airbus. And, you know, an Airbus is a highly complex product. You know, every Airbus is different uh, in the way, you know, they are basically have seating arrangements and galleys and toilets sort of put in different places. So for Airbus, which is really the conglomerate of many different companies and which has a very dispersed kind of production ecosystem it's very important that you know, when something arrives in Toulouse where the assembly is that the cables fit that you actually have the right components to fit the right customer use case or the right customer context and in the old world you know, with traditional systems that were using EDI or XML it was very hard to sort of trigger change so once an airline basically made a change request for you know, putting a galley in a certain place in the in the in the airbus it was very hard to sort of reconfigure that through a transactional system that you know had a time lag also now it's all in the cloud now it's all real time and you have sort of instant change requests coming through allowing for the supplier to react much more quickly but also you know taking some of the co-innovation and the co-design into the cloud so that it's not only just becoming a supply chain ecosystem but it's extending beyond that into suppliers really actively co collaborating with Airbus around you know not only spare parts but really the co-design of things such as wings or turbines or whatnot so it's it's definitely you know taking the whole linear angle of the supply chain out of the equation and replacing it with sort of this contextual continuous interaction sort of engagement model that is you know using shared data shared systems uh, a cloud platform to basically help aggregate the right components for the right Airbus you know in Toulouse and that's a strategic strategic element that, you know, helps this company to
0: ultimately make money, but also cater for your customer context. So in that context, SupplyOn.com built the digital platform, built that opportunity set. So what do they do differently than the participants in the auto industry, BMW, Mercedes-Benz and others? What what role do the different players play and how do they sort of protect the brand security, their own IP rights, all, all the different parts that would you know, be considered in how I go to market. Well, this is
2: interesting because actually, as I said, you know, the automotive guys own supply chain, so it's you know collectively owned by Daimler, by BMW, by Audi, and some of the others. The whole way of differentiation becomes a very different kind of beast. Um, you use the supply chain sort of to drive scalability and flexibility to have a faster time to market, but the differentiation really comes from how you assemble it, compose it to the context, and that's still something you do within your factory. That's still something you do also at the end point when the customer starts to sort of, you know, use his own personal device to sync it up with the car system. So the differentiation angle has shifted from, you know, the ways of how we sort of do supply chain, do production to how we ultimately are able to sort of tailor the product individually
0: to the customer context. It seems like there's a, a cut you're making between more of a customer centric um, digital platform and an operational centric digital platform and they, and they may be different yes. in their construction and different in their and their uh, way this, they're applied. That's absolutely true and at this point in time I, I would
2: still distinguish between those two kind of you know strands of, of platforms so the operational side where we are sort of driving scalability repeatability and sort of also the ability to drive better cost transparency around the operations And, you know, the more sort of customer-centric platform. So in that context, if you stick to the car industry, the connected car itself becomes a platform, you know, where you sort of aggregate insights, data, and services, you know, from the customer's mobile phone to the car systems to, you know, the contextualized systems that, you know, help you to do geo-mapping, for instance. Um, So these are the more customer-centric platforms. But what's interesting to me is that those two platform types are now continuously converging. So even in the supply chain, you know, as I said, mass customization is the name of the game, to be able to produce lot numbers of one. So the supply chain metric with which you know, I would manage you know, sort of the performance of my supply chain is not just merely real build around cost efficiency, but it's also the agility and the flexibility that allows me to take componentized parts into of you know, so the customer ecosystem. So there's an almost a natural handover between the operational side and the customer focused platform side because without the scalability in the supply chain I will not be able to produce the customer
0: experience that I actually want to produce. So there was a divide in sort of a, I look at it, look at it from the standpoint of supply chain management and the standpoint of sort of making my customers happy. There's a divide there. One brought goods to market, right. put it in a store, put it in a auto dealership. And then there was a second and very different step that said, I'm going to engage the customer and deal with the pricing and the packaging and all that different thing. What you're describing is those things are converging. Right. Because whether the customer is uh, Lufthansa or the customer is a person, they're putting demands on that same supply chain for speed, customization, and all those different pieces that are very individual to a Lufthansa, certain airplane they want to configure or a person wants to configure a car. You're, You're mashing those two things up. Absolutely, not least because customers
2: give us more and more data to inform us what they want uh, with the next product lifecycle. So there is inherently the need to actually integrate also the data stream of customer feedback through, for instance, the feedback they provide in social media platforms or otherwise into you know the whole production ecosystem, the innovation network, even the supply chain ecosystem. So it's really becoming a circle rather than a linear you know sort of system uh, landscape that is sort of operated through you know one dimensional Silos, uh, And it's really the customer feedback that is closing the loop between, you know, the sort of customer-obsessed uh, front-end dimension of the platform story and the sort of more operational back-end system story. Uh, and it's only through the customer feedback that we really sort of drive
0: now these synergies and the convergence of these two platform sides. Is supply chain management getting blown up? I mean, is the whole concept of a linear supply chain or even the word chain Blown up, or is it just being sort of reimagined?
2: This is a great question because just yesterday I was talking to um, you know a supply chain expert of one of the big consultancies, and and they were still showing charts of you know various sort of linear value chains that. Uh, were underpinned with cloud-based platforms. And for them that was sort of you know the trick. And I said to them, listen, you know, there is no customer dimension at this. Without a customer dimension, you will not be able to manage your supply chain of the future. The key problem to me is not so much the technology. Uh, I mean everybody understands intellectually that we want to be digital businesses. But it takes, you know, really courage for CEOs to also blow up some of the internal operational silo structures, to change the incentive mechanisms for those people that run the supply chain, uh, for instance, and, you know, have to be shifted from metrics that focus on cost efficiency uh, and cost savings to something which is much more in line with the agility, the time to market, and the customer experience
0: that they need to help drive. So, Pascal, I want to put an exclamation point on what you said, because within a supply chain management context... The priorities are typically, to your point, cost efficiency and control, quality control. But your argument is that the the times have changed already. And really the game is speed to customer, speed to market, and the level of customization one can do at a low cost point, meaning how, how frictionless can that be and how quickly can I get to the customer as I either anticipate or know from the data what the customer will really value and pay for.
2: Exactly. I mean, this is the big shift. I mean, just to give you a story, um, you know, one of the German engineering folks talked to me about this the other day. He said, in the past, the reason why we were so obsessed with quality was because we wanted not only to produce the best quality product, but also once we shipped and sold the product, we wanted to have nothing ever to do with it again. And if something went wrong, it was probably the customer's fault because they were, using, were not reading the manual properly. <laughs> <laughs> um, th- this, is, this is the traditional engineering culture that we're dealing with in, in most instances, this is exactly what you're describing. We have now a world out there where you know, people are shifting from the sale of you know asset goods, of machines, of tools, to you know, selling product as a service, uh, Hilti, you know, which is uh, a company in Switzerland that produces drilling machines. The CIO told us that. The shift business model is shifting from selling drilling machines to selling holes in the wall because they're basically renting out these drilling machines. I mean, how often do you use a drilling machine? You know, I I use mine maybe three times a year, (laughs) but I still have it in my cellar and it's just sitting there and no one is ever looking at it. So, you know, the business model is changing. So I would use the best drilling machine available on a pay-per-use kind of pricing model and just pay for the hole in the wall. Now, think about this customer experience and think about this context that we're now trying to address. What we used to do in the supply chain there in the past with, you know, focused on cost efficiency and quality control had nothing to do with what the customer actually now wants us to do. So so again, you know, you're looking at... Um, value ecosystem on the client side that is rapidly changing in the way what customers inspect and what they want to do and also how they want to have access to the capability of a product not buying it but just using it as and when they need it as opposed to a supply chain that was built for sort of continuous usage and the fixed asset ownership of the customer and and that's you know where these two sort of you know the, the, the ecosystem on the client side and the traditional means of supply chain, they just don't match. And, and that's why you know the supply chain systems
0: and the ecosystems built around the supply chain need to change so rapidly. It's funny because we started this conversation sort of definitionally about what is a platform because there's many right. meanings to it. And you can, you can apply the same level of confusion to the word digital business because the, the concept of digital business yeah. is typically seen as a digital channel or make money on digital. Right. But this really recast it as a digital business just operates fundamentally differently. The silos are gone. There's a lot of parallel structures. It's a very highly customized, right. speed-driven type of thing.
2: Absolutely. I mean, the story here is that, as you said, I mean, most companies today look at digital as a way to enhance the customer experience. Hence, they build nice, shiny mobile apps and they you know, more talk about on omni-channel, multi-channel, yeah. Blah, yeah. blah, blah, blah. Whereas, you know, where they actually really have to sort of start Uh, investing heavily is in the operational backend scenarios. I mean, you make an experience promise through your mobile app, but you need to deliver on the experience promise to really fulfill the customer promise and and the journey map that you have created through your means of operations. And that's, as I said, where, for instance, supply chain, but the same holds true for production, for distribution, for after-sales service. You need to change so that you can ultimately really fulfill the experience promise. And that's where you have to tear down the silos, you have to the incentive structures of the people who run these siloed businesses, and you have to all align them around a single outcome, which is to achieve a better customer satisfaction, a greater customer experience, and ultimately with that also drive an incremental value growth for your business as opposed to focusing on the one-time sale of your product.
0: Right.
1: Can I ask, are people doing this today? Like, What you're referring to is likely larger organizations that have been established right. for maybe hundreds of years who have to do all of this work to break down these silos and change how they operate their mindset. Yeah. Have folks made that transition? Some have.
2: I mean, you know, GE is obviously the poster child yep. of, of a lot of what we're talking about here. And I mean, Jeff Immelt, the CEO, famously said one day uh, he went to bed and he was still the CEO of an industrial firm. The next day he woke up and he thought he was the CEO of a software and analytics business. Mm-hmm. And that sort of, you know, basically was the impetus for change for the entire company. Uh, if you look at what GE has done around platforms, for instance, with, which is with its uh, Predix platform around IoT. Again, it's sort of shifting from this inside out engineering mindset to an outside in kind of operating system where they connect their machines with the suppliers, with their industry partners, with their you know customers, even to the point where the customers' customers mm-hmm. feedback is sort of coming back to help drive the next cycle of innovation of you know the turbine or the train or whatever you know it is that GE is
0: selling. So it's an interesting point about GE because one of the outcomes of predix. Is that they took data that was resident in all these different systems, like an airplane engine, and actually created a marketplace for that data. And with that marketplace, it creates a fundamentally new form of data, a fundamentally new form of creating value. And in some cases, changes the the optics of the way they work. Which is, that I'm not going to sell you an engine. I'm going to sell you air miles. And it goes back to your point about the drill, which is, it's, it's, I'm going to sell you usage-driven type stuff because I have such better beeline on my business. Right. And, and I mean, that's what they're doing. I mean, think about GE again in the
2: context of what they're doing with the aircraft engines, um, you know, basically selling them on based on the flying hours, uh, which is a huge benefit to not just the airlines, but also to the leasing companies that often own the aircrafts uh, themselves because it's a liquidity play, right? It's really coming down to aligning the usage of the asset to end customer needs. So if the aircraft is grounded because of strike or because of, you know, volcano eruptions in e- Iceland, um, you know you actually don't have to pay for using the asset and that data stream that actually has been always there it's just that now because it's connected and it's yep. sort of shared and synced up with the different systems um, is not only becoming a currency but it's also really driving um, you know the value streams around innovation around business models around you know how we sort of interact in this context of suppliers customers and end customers so to really create platforms that you know not only are sharing insights but really enable new forms of your value creation, your business models. Um, I mean, you mentioned Airbnb and Uber, and ultimately, that's exactly what you know, GE is trying to get at. It's trying to build you know, data-driven sort of platforms, insights platforms that would allow not only for GE customers to benefit from it, but also customers from other engineering companies to sort of use the data to gr- generate insights around usage patterns, around certain industrial products like wind turbines, for instance, and then, you know, look and and test out new business models right it
0: almost serves as an R&D center because this data right. is going to create products and experiences that we just simply can't imagine exactly. at our point in time. that's yeah. exactly true um, let's talk a little bit about what is a platform and and because there, you know one of the arguments there's going to be a platform war who owns the platform sort of who owns the liquidity is advantaged in this marketplace so what what in your mind is a platform
2: Well, you could describe a platform as a collection of infrastructure, systems, and and, and processes that are ultimately shared. But really, the value in the platform is around the data. Uh, So, you know, if you want, a platform is all about the sharing of data. You need systems and infrastructure and connectivity and IoT and all these wonderful things. You need blockchain and AI also to sort of synthesize and extract data in a certain way. But really it comes down to the data. And it's either the data around product usage or it's the data around operations. And as we said, you know, it's now the convergence of these two data streams to really create this end-to-end customer journey and experience that basically
0: facilitates the platform. So really one key part is I need to have build an ecosystem right. of, of machines or entities that create the data mm-hmm. or consume the data mm-hmm. or innovate upon the data. And my job is to build an ecosystem that is inherently vibrant and liquid And then to drive the liquidity, to drive the value from point A to point B on a constant basis. Yeah,
2: I would just only add to that, that um, this is obviously not just taking data that is your own, but it's really sort of the aggregation of data that sits almost everywhere in the ecosystem that you have to serve. So it's, it's really important to understand that this is not just the data that is there in your own operations or in your immediate sort of ecosystem, but it's also taking a lot of the unstructured and contextual data uh, that has to be there to sort of again, um, you know, drive more context in the customer
0: use case. So I imagine that creates some friction around who owns the data, yeah. Who owns the monetary value of the data, yeah? And who's fundamentally responsible for, for securing the data? Right. And th- this this is this is the big one. I mean, in particular, the
2: latter around security, because I think if you look at not just the engineering companies, but also the automotive firms. I mean, you know, we've all been listening and hearing about war stories of cars getting hacked on the street. Um, I mean, data security and also data privacy, for instance, are are massive. And that's, I think, one of the reasons why certainly in, um, you know, the consumer context of cars, for instance, but also in the B2B context, some of the companies still are very reserved and conservative.
0: And it seems like there's an inherent trade-off between how fast I move on the platform, how expansive it is. And how I think of security. How should someone think of security as a trade-off between how fast I bring this platform to market and how fast I create liquidity among partners?
2: I mean, it's a little bit like with you using the Google search engine and um, you know trying to measure the impact of Google knowing what you're looking for. I mean, to a certain extent, you you have to give up some of the how should I say, um, data ownership mantra uh, in, in the context of what you're doing. But at the same time, I think there's a clear expectation. And again, you know, the GE and the Siemens and the Bosch who built these new IoT platforms are all responding to this by really making security and data privacy an integral part of the offering. So it's not an afterthought. It becomes sort of really embedded in everything that they do. It, Not only in the context of providing, you know, data and IoT services and platforms to their customers, but even as they build devices, you know, into different places, really trying to secure them and and ultimately make the security and data privacy a truly integrated part of the story.
1: Pascal, can you talk a little bit about what role the CIO plays here? Are they the orchestrator? Are they the builder? The collaborator?
2: Well, at this point in time, unfortunately, most of the CIOs don't play a significant role. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's because, again, the way they are incented and the way they are measured is largely on the basis of cost and efficiency around the traditional IT landscape. Uh, And that is preventing, you know, CIOs really from getting involved in building, managing, orchestrating some of these new ecosystems. So for the CIO, the role is really changing to become this sort of orchestrator aggregator. So it's, it's really sort of, The cloud orchestrating, uh, managing the hybrid cloud infrastructures because, you know, you will have to look at various dimensions of the infrastructure cloud. Some may be running on a private cloud, virtual private cloud, public cloud. You will have platforms and applications running in, you know, software-as-a-service kind type configurations. You will have to aggregate and orchestrate, you know, your open source development platforms. You have to cater for agile um, and DevOps as a way to sort of enhance the time to market for these new things. So it's really changing in the way of shifting from this sort of operational silo principle of managing infrastructure, apps dev, enterprise architecture, and operations to this sort of multi-aggregation skill that you need to build around infrastructure services, platforms, development, and ultimately even customer experience, which I think is also um, you know, a duty that every
0: CEO has to cater for. Yeah, it's interesting because it's we had a part of the conversation was about the, the changing thought process around supply chain management, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that there's no, there's no longer a true separation between operational-centric and customer-centric. They've merged, and we've gone from managing quality and managing cost down to creating better customer value. Yeah. That same thought process you're just applying to the CIO. Same, same big change of mindset, Absolutely. change of skill set, yeah. that type of thing.
2: Uh, totally, and again, I think what we're talking about here are the new principles for managing your operations. Yeah. And it's interesting because you know what I always talk to CIOs about is you have to sort of apply almost like a commercial you know, software industry mindset to what you're doing. I mean, you not only have to cater for the orchestration across those multiple dimensions, but you have to basically create product management skills, product marketing mm-hmm. skills. Uh, you have to do software lifecycle management because you have to cater for continuous updates. You know, we used to do updates in our core systems every three, four, five years. Now we have to do updates every couple of months, if not weeks. You know, customers expect mobile apps to update, be updated every couple of days. So that's a whole new you know, way of working that CEOs have to get used to, and which is why, and again, there are some industry examples in GE and in Siemens yep. and others, where, you know, these companies have actually taken on board people coming from, you know, IBM, Oracle, Cisco, or some of the other tech vendors, because they basically have those skills. They have these commercial software development, software marketing skills, which are so critical to be infused uh, into, you know, the
0: operation of the CIO. It also changes the nature of what one views a customer to be, because the one way of viewing a customer is they are a, cons- a buyer and a consumer of a product. Right. They, they use things. In your descriptions, there in whether it's articulated through data or through co-creation, they're actually a participant in the product development. They're a participant yes. in the way the platforms emerge and evolve.
2: Yeah, and and I think again, th- therein lies the, the critical connection between what we discussed earlier. You know the. Currently, still separated operational dimension and the customer-centric dimension. You know, both sustained by platform context. Now, really, the the customer feedback and the customer involvement, um, you know, really drives this sort of convergence that we were talking about. And it's changing the metrics, the way of working, and it's fundamentally also changing the culture. I mean, in in our customer-obsessed operating model research, we talk about you know, customer obsession is everybody's business now. You know, there is no function, no person within any organization that
0: should not think about the end customer. Yeah, as we we sort of think about the meaning of it all, which is digital platforms were sort of the darling of Wall Street, you know, the Facebooks, Instagrams, the idea of creating these social environments, liquidity and all this value. And, And it wasn't obvious to everyone that there's actually an industrial component to this. The industrial digital platform is equally as Profound in its changes to the way supply oh, chain management. I think
2: it's, it's much more interesting. I mean, if you think B2C was the earthquake, B2B is the tsunami that follows in terms of your ecosystems and digitization. I mean, think about this. What are we doing in B2C? In B2C, we are always faulty, fighting for ultimately the loyalty of the single consumer. In B2B, the loyalty is there. Because, you know, because of what you're doing and what you're providing, an aircraft turbine, very critical asset, switching costs are preventing you from sort of, you know, changing your mind so quickly. So the... The macroeconomic effect of you know, having B2B platforms in the industrial space are far greater because they are far more reaching in terms of you know, the customer um, uh, satisfaction and the customer impact than what you can achieve on, on the B2C side. This is not to say that the B2C side is not interesting. In fact, a lot of the B2C trends are now basically driving the B2B
0: behavior. right? It's almost
2: sort of like an incubation for B2B. It's
0: totally really taught
2: that how it could happen. I mean, Siemens, uh, interesting enough, talked about this publicly the other day they said when they were going to relaunch their entire e-business for turbines and machines and whatever they sell they for the first time ever did a customer journey mapping exercise on their b2b customers and the revelation was that through customer surveying they figured that you know all these b2b customers that buy you know million euros or dollar machines have the same expectation from, you know, a customer uh, perspective as you would have as a consumer. Getting information on your mobile app, have it there in real time and at your fingertips, and also an expectation not just to be sold the product, but also have the service and after-sales service dimension attached to it, which was totally news for Siemens. Because again, they come from this mindset of ship and forget, Mm -hmm. you know, Great engineers building great products and they will never fail and therefore we don't need to cater for the customer. And this is not just Siemens. But the point is that you know now this mm-hmm. is really changing in the way the B2C dimension is infiltrating and changing the B2B buying behavior. But if you think about it in terms of I mean, all these, these companies, GE, Bosch, Siemens, Schneider, Philips, ABB, um, they're big tankers. And it takes a long time for them to sort of change direction. But once they change, they pull their whole supply chain with them. They right. pull the whole customer loyalty with them. So what you have at your fingertips is you know, ultimately a far greater opportunity to drive value than if you're trying
0: to sort of address the individual consumer loyalty. Pascal, this has been a great conversation, We're sort of ending with a big concept of an industrial platform big tsunami. Yeah. Really, thank you so much for your time. Pleasure.
1: Thank you. Ready to go deeper on digital transformation? Join Forrester at one of our upcoming 2017 Digital Transformation Forums. Our flagship event is coming up fast on May 9th and 10th in Chicago. Leaders from global enterprises, including GE, IBM, Visa, Expedia, and more, will join Forrester analysts to explore how you can reinvent your products, processes, technologies, and culture to drive successful digital transformation. For more information and to reserve your seat, visit forr.com/dtforum. That's f-o-r-r.com/dtforum. Thanks for listening.